Well, welcome back everyone to the Whitetail Theories podcast. We are on episode six of the Deer Camp Tour and we got Blaze Champany on the line out in Colorado on the top of a mountain, had a hike all the way to the top to just get cell phone service to do this podcast. Thank you so much, Blaze, for, for hopping on and doing this with us. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, It was a little bit of a challenge, but uh, we got up here, so I'm glad we have enough signal to do this. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to hear what's going on. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of living vicariously through all you elk hunters out there. So, Blaze, you're in Colorado right now, but what I want to start off with is kind of painting the picture of your background, who you are. Give the audience a little information about yourself, how you got into hunting, that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, I've been hunting since I was probably six or seven whitetail in northern Wisconsin. And then, um, you know, obviously by when I was 12, you had to wait to 12 to hunt. So I was hunting with my dad until then. And then after 12, I kind of took off um, hunting everything, grouse, deer, ducks, um, any, anything you could hunt, legally hunt in northern Wisconsin. And then, um, and that just kind of grew into a pretty serious passion where I was spending, um, 60 days in the woods, um, or marshes a year. And, um, now we have turkeys in Northern Wisconsin. So for about the last 15 years, I do about 70 days of turkey hunting in the spring. And now that I'm videoing hunts, probably 80, 80, days in the fall 80 to 90 days in the fall and now i've added elk hunting and so that adds another two or three weeks nice. <laughs> so um i'm spending a lot of time in the woods i'm 40 years old i own a couple of smoke houses in northern wisconsin with my dad um and i have a six-year-old and a five-month-old awesome awesome so, so you have a rich tradition of hunting and you kind of are what i would say brought up in the traditional way of hunting and having that heritage built uh, behind you through role models, mentors, your father, so on and so forth. Uh, what made you want to get into elk hunting? Um, I had got a shot at, about, at, at it about five years ago in Idaho. Um, just by chance, my uncle and his kids were going and they said, hey, you want to come with? The tag is kind of expensive, but it's a fun thing. So, um, and they said it's a lot like turkeys, except they're like 800 pounds. So I said, well, I love turkey hunting. So I did it and, um, and got into the elk, got into some bugling, didn't get an opportunity, had to leave camp early for a family emergency. But um, I just got one day of bugling elk and on elk in one encounter. And um, I've been dreaming about coming back since. So, um, this is actually about five years from it, five or six years. Um, and now I just fully committed. I came out five days early with my daughter and we scouted. And then my uncle flew in from Texas and, um, yesterday. And then we got back onto the mountain that I scouted with my daughter. So that, that's awesome. That's so you got a lot of pack yep. mules there. A lot of what? Pack mules. Your daughter's going to be helping you carry out some of that meat, huh? Oh, no. I have I have one. I have my uncle and me. <laughs> I, flew my, I flew my daughter back with, with her mom. I flew her mom out to pick up my daughter this in Denver, and now I'm back. Gotcha, gotcha. So, okay, okay. So I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, that would be a great experience for her. Yeah. And you both. So 
what are uh, what are some of the 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 trials and tribulations you went through on that first elk hunt in Idaho? What like what are some things that like really knocked your socks off? That was like, wow, this is different. Um, I guess it's just the sheer magnitude of mountains, right? Because less us basic flatlanders look at things and we're like, oh, that's that's steep. Like, oh, that'll create a funnel for deer, and that wouldn't even be. Uh, I, I mean, that wouldn't even be a bump out here. You know, like we use terrain for whitetails to funnel them, but it's nowhere near the extreme as this. You know, we're you're climbing things that you're basically grabbing bushes and pulling yourself up. You know, I, I guess that's the first thing that hits you. Um, in Idaho, I didn't have much of an altitude thing. Um, we were at about 7,500, but here we're we're anywhere between um, eight and 12,000 feet. So it's really um, the altitude hits you. Plus, I'm five years older. So, um, but um, I guess that's what hits you in Idaho. Uh, the first time I went, the other thing is just the. Um, I was hunting for three days before I had an encounter um, in Idaho, and that first bugle literally shakes you to the bone. You know, it's uh, your hair stands up um, when you know it's not another hunter, and they're coming in. I mean, it's probably the biggest rush I've ever had, and I've hunted everything, you know. So um, I guess that's the, the second thing. If you can get in an encounter, it, you'll never quit wanting to elk hunt, um, I, I don't think. Yeah, I would agree 100% with what you just said. I mean, you couldn't have described it any better. Once you experience that moment, I, you got to be crazy not to be hooked for life. Yeah, exactly. So, so and, and I am. So. so, you're in Colorado now. Can you kind of paint the picture of, well, actually, I want to I hold up here. So, uh, you're in Colorado now. What yep. what did you do to prepare for this hunt as far as gear, as far as the amount of time? How are you hunting? Are you doing a drop camp? Are you guys basically uh camping off of your backpacks? What what's your what's your plan? So um when I first decided, I think the first thing when you decide to do this, you gotta fully commit. And you're gonna have a bunch of people that say they want to do it with you, and then luckily if you end up with one at the end, you're lucky. You know. Uh, because it's just, it's fine. It's a financial strain. It's a time commitment thing. So I, like I literally called five people, all five said they would come and now, now only my uncle came. So, um, but after you decide and commit to doing it, you have to commit and then you start training. Like I'm, I'm 5'11", 250 pounds. I'm overweight probably, probably for this, but you start training as best you can with the amount of time you have. And then I did a ton of, I, I subscribed to Elk 101 with Corey Jacobson. I subscribed to Go Hunt. And um, then I also got the Google Earth up. And when you learn, what you learned in Elk 101 is north facing slopes, saddles, where the elk are going to be, you know, a whole bunch. I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, and I think you get, 20% off if you put in elk talk. I listen to elk talk podcasts mm-hmm. and um, I just spent a ton of time learning like all night long. I, my, my girlfriend would say, what are you doing? I'm like listening to podcasts. I listen to 76 podcasts. You know, I just put as much cause I knew the, the commitment here. I wanted to put, I wanted to be fully invested. So I learned as much as I could. I read books and then um, 
I did the e-scouting thing on there and picked about 12 different spots I wanted to get boots on the ground in and came in five days early with my daughter and put boots on the ground, talked to other hunters, talked to um, CPW or Parks and Recreation out here. Um, And I had decided that from Idaho, everyone had four-wheelers and I didn't want to run into four-wheelers and hear that sound. So I decided right away I wanted to hunt wilderness area where you could only pack in on horses or or hike in. So once I made that decision, that kind of restricted where I could go. And then I used go hunt to figure out my cow to bull ratios on what I thought in success rates for each zone. And I a little trick I use is actually muzzle loader um, success rates because I think there's so much involved with um, with bow hunting and First, the first muzzle loader is right when the rut is anyway. So I wanted to know when I if I went went when the first rut is, you know, what was the success rate? And if you average the muzzle loader and the archery, you kind of came up with a number, and that's what I used to decide what units to um, to scout and then ultimately to hunt. Interesting. That's a, that's a unique way of looking at it that I've never considered is factoring in that that first muzzle loader season because you're 100 percent right. It is pretty much during the peak of the rut um and yeah you can shoot farther with uh with a muzzleloader but you still need to get on the animals to be successful 100 percent. and where we're at you could have a bow or a gun and you couldn't shoot 100 you, we're sitting here about to have lunch and you might shoot 60 yards yeah um, maybe so i mean I'm not going to shoot 60 i could with my bow but i probably don't i'm not going to take that shot but 40 i would so that's kind of what I, how I looked at it, um, you know, and then I watched a, a lot of, um, you know, born and raised. I watched all the YouTube videos like everyone does, but I'll tell you that they don't show you, they kind of show you the resume version of it. Like you don't realize that there's a lot of little things that, um, they, that you, they don't, I, they probably don't have time to show you. I mean, everything from, understanding filtration of the water because there's very little water out here and how much to carry and to, um you know there's some packing your bag but then you realize like thank god i'm part of service side and hunt club and um you know with 50 percent off badlands clothing because if you came out here in your normal cabela's cotton clothing it would make it significantly harder and heavier and you know you wouldn't evaporate as much and you know i'm just head to toe in badlands right now and my uncle is too all thanks to you know the hunt club and service side and um, with that discount. So without that, that would have been a significant um, burden, a financial burden. I had Badlands before, but I was able to get a new pack. I got the MRK six pack, which I can't recommend more. Um, I've had multiple packs, and this pack is we're putting it to the test, and it's it's getting the job done for sure. Um, you know, yeah, I guess I mean that. That, that's what I did. And, and um, as far as like, you know, what you learn from being on the boots on the ground to compared to watching YouTube videos is, I guess, the magnitude of the adventure you're on, right? Sure. When you get here, it's intimidating. You get there and you start looking, I'm going up there. And you're thinking, how am I going to get there? You know, like, this is silly. And then you sure. just start walking one foot in the other and eventually you're at 8,500, 9,000 9, feet. And, um, you know, like right now, we're not on good sign. We're on we're in elk territory, but it's all old, old sign. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that we have at least a 
mile mile or two more to go to try to find good sign. Um, every the reports out here and from my scouting is the elk are anywhere from twelve thousand feet. You you can see them up there. You can glass them, but you can't get there. The the cliffs are too sheer, and it's just. I mean, you'd have to be a mountain climber. And then uh, we just got a really good report that they're at like 8,000 feet in the scrub oaks. So, I mean, we're kind of in between right now. Um, there's been no night bugling where I'm at. Um, and uh, that's been disappointing. Um, so we're going to spend, two, we're here for nine more days. We're going to spend um, three days. We, we have a base camp and then we're going to, we're three days spike camp we're on day one of the spike camp right now and we're just going to keep going till we find sign and if we don't find sign in pretty much a five mile radius we're going to move on to my plan b gotcha so gotcha. i mean that's so, that's that's how i'm attacking it i i think you're on the right track there uh you got to know when to pop smoke and pull out uh because if they're not there they're not there and and elk have quite quite a large range and i think people get wrapped up when they e-scout and staying in a particular area and the just the elk aren't there, they spend their whole time there and then they never see any elk. So yeah, elk- to me, to me, it's a lot like turkeys, man. If you're not on gobbles, I don't care if you can see them and they're not gobbling, you can't hunt a non-gobbling gobbler very easily. And it's like here, if there's elk here and they're not bugling, I can't hunt them uh, effectively or efficiently for sure. I'm not going to, you know, I mean, I'm not just going to start walking through the woods. So, if there's elk here and they're not bugling, I'm still leaving, you know, because I need sound to be able to, to hunt them. Right. So let if, if you don't mind, let's break Colorado down into like four sections. Are you hunting northwest, southeast? I'm hunting um, south of Vale, um, west of um, Grand Junction. Okay. We'll leave it so at that. I'm, I guess I, I don't even I'm not a I'm not one of these people that are on a scarcity thing where like I'm worried about what unit I am. I, if I, I don't I don't remember. If I'm, I think I'm in 58, but or 52. Um, I'm not worried about that because I honestly think that for the health of the sport and the strength of having a hunting community, we all need to work together. We ran into a bunch of hunters here and we're all in the same boat. We're like, man, if I see something, I'll help you if I'm on my way out. If I see you, I'll give you an update on what where I'm seeing them. I mean, we're we're two people in ten thousand and forty thousand acres. I mean, it's like <laughs> literally. I don't have a scarcity um, thing. I never have. I think it's. I think if um, I, more of the wealth. I mean, I hope a bunch of you guys come out here and help me pack out my elk. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not, uh, I'm not too worried about that. I mean, because. There's no elk here now anyway, but I'll, I mean, I think we're going to do another follow-up on the 16th, or no, that's today. We're going to do another one, another podcast, I think, an update, and that's like five days from now. So The 23rd. I'm gonna get, the 23rd, is that when it is? Yep. And so you guys will learn, like, I'll tell you in the next, like, we'll have a, two spike camps in that time period, and I'll have a ton of time on the on the mountain. So I'll tell you everything I know and what units and everything. I, I'm not afraid to tell you. Um but right now I would say we're praying for this rain on Saturday. It's been 80s every day for the last five, six days. It's just hot, you know. Um, I don't think we're getting a ton of elk movement from what I'm hearing. And um, 
I think we're right at the verge of that that estrus and that and them coming into um, you know the five days before the equinox here. So I'm I'm hoping we have a big game changer any day here. So I I, I want to rewind here a little bit because there's some stuff that we sure. skipped over that I want to get get to. So can you kind of paint the picture of the habitat that you're hunting, what it looks like? So I know you mentioned based on the stuff that you have learned from Elk 101, you're hunting the dark timber on north-facing slopes. Are you yep. hearing the majority of your bugles in the timber? Um, are you hearing them later in the evening when they're going out to the meadows to feed? Like what, what's going on there? We haven't heard any bugles. So that's where I'm worried. Um, so we started we started about 8,000 feet, 7,800 feet um, at a trailhead. And um, we crossed the river. That was interesting. <laughs> and um, now we're in, we're kind of in a spot where I don't think most people would go. That's what my goal was. Um, it's not like a trail like a U.S., like a forestry trail or any kind of trail, that, a hiking trail that, um, they do have in the wilderness area. We're, we're just following, um, maybe old outfitter trails and or wilderness or wildlife trails. Um, we, we started in the scrub oaks and that's, we met another hunter in the scrub oaks, which was at about 80, 8,000 square, 8,000 feet. And, um, right where they were hitting the popples. And he said that he, he's got fresh, um, they had fresh rubs on trees on this, right on that line. And, that was really, I mean, that was really low compared to where I'm hearing everyone else. Everyone else says they're at 10,000 feet. I was in the Gunnison Wildlife wild, um, Wildland area, and um, we could see elk like up at up, up at the Alpine, right above the tree line. So right now, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, we're. I'll give you an update, but um, right now we have old sign, we have old droppings, um, and we're at. What are we at, Mike? Uh, look on my onyx. We're at. We're only at eighty-seven hundred um, right now. So we got about another fifteen hundred. I want to go before we camp tonight, and I think that's where we'll. I think that's where they're going to be. Gotcha. So you were talking about the weather, and it's been really hot. When's the last time you had rain out there? Uh, well before I got here, so before nine days ago, um, there's not a lot of rain evidence anywhere. I mean, the streams that I thought were going to have water in them don't. So that's the other thing that's a setback for us is finding water, um, up on the mountain. There's just no water up here. I mean, it shows on Onyx and, and base maps and stuff that there's streams, but they're dry as dry. So, um, that's another struggle that we're looking at is, you know, now we're almost to the point where we're going to have to go. And I think we'll find elk there too. We need to find water and the elk are finding water. Right. And um, that's kind of my goal now. We're up on a saddle here. We're going to search around for water. Um, and we saw one wallow and it had some cow tracks around it, but I, it really didn't look torn up. It just looked drink out of. So I don't think there was, was a bull, but that was, that was about half a mile ago. Was the wallow pretty dry too? Uh, yeah, it was it was muddy, but it didn't have standing water, so I don't think it would hold elk. Mm-hmm. Um, when we find that water source up here, I think then we're going to be in. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's only um, one other hunter 
in this huge area that we're in because there's only one way in here. Um, and and I'm 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 real I feel real positive about it. I, I think they're going to have to make a move here soon, no matter what, just because they're going to have to start breeding. And if I don't start hearing bugles at night, like tonight we're going to, we'll be spike camp. If I don't hear bugles tonight, um, we might just leave because you're going to hear a bugle either at night or, you know, at night for sure. And we almost, and what's the moon? The moon is like three quarter. So they're going to be breeding at night. And so if I don't hear bugles tonight, we might just turn around and go on to my plan B. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so as far as your plan of attack for strategies, how's that working? Now I'm, I'm talking about when you're going, when you, when you get on the elk. So, um, are you planning on primarily trying to call them in? Are you going to try to ambush them? Like what's your plan there? No, my plan is, um, to work the arc. So when they, when I get on the elk and this happened to me in Idaho, um, you know, first thing they're going to do is try to identify you. So I'm either going, I'm going to do soft call, call, um, cow calls to identify where they're, they're at. Mm-hmm. And if they, if I feels like I keep pushing them, then I'll challenge them with a bugle. And then I'll have my uncle stay back and I'll move forward or left or right, depending on which way they're going to try to win me and try to try to cut that arc down to a 30 to 40 yard shot. And I'll have him just, uh, calling behind me um that's kind of my strategy right now i i don't like the idea of it but if i find water i mean it'll be so rare up here that i might just sit on the water like a deer stand for whitetail because there is no water i mean we haven't there's no water so if i when i find water i think it's going to be a very good i mean they're, they're going to have to be around it so um you know those are my those are my two strategies in my head. Um, what I, last time I was elk hunting, you know, one, sometimes it just happens where you're, you're walking a trail and they're walking parallel and, you know, you can, you can kind of ambush them, but I, I have never had very good luck with that. And, but in my limited experience, let's, let's talk a little bit about your adaptability. So I think I, I personally feel like a lot of people, when they go elk hunting for the first couple times, uh, they have an idea of how the hunt should play out. And I would say nine times out of 10, the hunts usually don't plan out that way, whether it's lack of water, whether they're the, they're not quite in pre-rut yet, um, whether they're in full rut and they're just not coming off of their cows, so on and so forth. What makes you so adaptable? I think it's just, almost like a humbling thing where you you need to be like you have to understand that i mean i know a a fraction of what i need to know right i mean i've not spent years hunting elk and i've not even i mean it'd be different if you were back in northern wisconsin you want to do whitetail hunt like i know i know the patterns there like here i have to be totally open at all minute all the time to adjusting where I'm just not going to have a success. If I keep forcing a square peg in a round hole, um, because that's the way I want to hunt, I might not be successful. Um, the other thing is when I came out here, I came out here for the journey, you know, that we all know the success rate on elk, even if you knew everything, 
is not not the highest. So you can't come out here with an expectation. I don't think that you're going to kill. You know, I'm I have an expectation we'll get to an encounter. Um, but even that, you're right. You're going to have to adjust. You know, like until I figure out a pattern, I can't. You know, I can't zero in on anything. So right now, we're kind of hoping we know the pattern, and then, you know, it's turned into a water thing. I think now it's we figured out that there's no water, and wherever the water is, is hopefully where at least some of the elk will be. Um, so that's an, that's a huge adjustment. I wasn't planning on, you know, looking. I wasn't so concerned about water. First of all, they've had a ton of rain out here um, all summer, like because it's something to do with. Every they have a monsoon season every few years or something, so I when I talk to the or, people in Ore, they're like, "Yeah, don't worry about. It. We've had mudslides. There's so much water. Well, it dried up real quick. I mean, you can tell everything's green, but uh, there's there's no water in the streams. Yeah, so. that's that's interesting, and I I think you are right with the water and the uh, in that plan because the closer and closer that they get to the rut the more they're going to be moving their cows around, the more they're not necessarily chasing, but going to be like tending cows, trying to find cows that are ready. It's just like whitetails, they're going to need to rehydrate at some point. So if that's the limiting factor out there, I, I would think that you could potentially run into multiple herds if there's only a few sources of water in an entire basin or multiple basins that are out there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've never heard... I've never read about it, but I know that it's, it'll be 3000 feet elevation change to get down to the river where there's water right now. So I don't think they're doing that every day. So, um, and I know they're not down there because we came from there. Um, so I'm thinking there's some kind of water source up here somewhere that I'm, you know, if you don't have boots on the ground and trip over it, you don't know. It could just be a 50 by 50 pond or a 50 by 50, you know, uh, spring or something. I, I, there's gotta be, or that's why there's no elk. That's why I'm not hearing any bugles. So we're going to give it a day for the, the spike camp. And if, um, we can't hear bugles, we're going to loop around and move on to the next location, which I do. So you were saying about your plan B place. Yeah. So my plan B is to, um, this is like sheer mountains in this area and um, very, very steep. My next plan is to go to like unit 68 and work the older mountains, more sage. Um, and they're easier to walk on. And I figure at the end of the hunt here, we're going to need kind of a, a break because this is pretty steep. Um, and, and I scouted over there and um, the elk were at like 9,800 um, over there. And I just went with this area it was less hunters less pressure i thought you know this is more um more remote so you know i just thought the success rate was more is why i chose this one to be plan a i on onyx and base maps this thing shows tons of streams and creeks but they're all dry so um like i said if we don't find water in the next in the next tonight and tomorrow um on the way back and we don't hear bugles tonight we're going to go to plan b and I have a plan C and a plan D too, if we have to. Nice. So, um, I think that's important to be able to adjust the different, you know, to different areas and, and not just say, well, we're here, we have a base camp built, 
we're going to have to stay here and stick it out because I, I just don't, I mean, I think that's like slamming your hand in the door. Yeah, I would agree with you. All right. So we pretty much got the gist of what's going on out there. Um, let's, let's kind of rewind here and I want to maybe change this podcast around a little bit. So walk me through your preparation of this hunt. Uh, talk me, talk me through your picking out gear. Talk me through your, your scouting regimen as far as your e-scouting, that whole deal. Okay. So starting out with gear, I knew that my whitetail gear was not going to be sufficient. Um, it was clumsy. It was heavier. So, um, I watched a lot. I mean, I watched a lot of the, um, Badlands podcasts and learn because they, you know, they live out here in Utah and they, they, this is what they do. Right. And, um, I, there's other brands out there too. This first light, that's real good stuff. I'm, I'm sure. But you know, with, with, with service side and hunt club at 50% off, you know, it's, it's a no brainer. Right. So I, um, I looked into, um, different pants, um, I wanted a pant that I have the cool touch Algus and I have the ion pant. Um, I knew that being um, as big as I am, I'm going to sweat a lot and I need, I was going to be hot. So I, I went with probably lower um, or cooler, cooler stuff. And it has proven to be perfect because it's so hot out here. Right. It would in the more, but then like my uncle said from Texas is the mornings are cold. I mean, they're, they're 38 to 42 degrees. Okay. Yeah. So, like I was saying, like in northern Wisconsin, you would wear two systems. You'd wear a base layer of some kind of merino wool or Columbia sportswear, some some kind of under underwear, um, long underwear, and then you'd wear a jacket and um, appropriate pants because you're going to sit in a stand, and there could be wind and all that. Out here, we're hiking all the time. So, like, um, I start out with. In the mornings, you start off with a. I sleep in a puffy jacket or a jacket of some sort in my in my sleeping bag. Although my sleeping bag's plenty warm, you know when you get up, it's cold. So you you don't want to be searching around for clothing, and so you sleep in your hunting gear, which is odd to me, but that's what you do. You know, I I brought one pair of change of socks of darn tough socks, and I love them. Um, and so I switch out on them and then let the let them dry out while I'm while I'm hiking. The other pair. I brought two pairs of the Badlands underwear and um, that are the Cool Touch that are amazing. By the way, if anyone's looking for cooling in your another region's underwear, the Badlands underwear are amazing. Um, so you you have to be in a three layer system here: um, a base layer, a mid layer, and an outerwear because of the temperature fluctuation. It's it's forty degree fluctuations. So um, I would encourage everyone to look into that and understand that part. I mean, I would have never, I wouldn't be, I'd be totally unprepared if I would have just brought my whitetail gear out here. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I was mentioning, I, uh, I always wore Rocky uh, Elk Tracker um, Red Wing, I think uh, Irish Setters they're called, uh, Elk Trackers, 800 milligram insulate. And I, I'd buy, they're $200, you buy them every two years. Finally, like two years ago, I decided to buy Kenetrek, um hiking boots, the 400 gram, um, I don't know, Extreme Hunter, I think they're called. And it's been a game changer for my feet, for everything. Um, if, 
if I could ever go back to the old blaze five, six years ago, eight years ago, I would have spent the money on really good boots. Like I thought I was buying good boots and I was, but I would have bought these immediately. They're lighter. They're, they're easier. They're better for your feet. Um, and so that's, that's my system right now. Oh, and the other thing that I have is these beanies. I'm a balding guy and I never realized that these like thin beanies were going to be so awesome. Uh, I have the August Badlands beanie. It really literally feels like an air conditioner on your head. It's got the blue lining inside of it. And then I have the elevation one for warmth. And these have been a game changer for me because, you know, when you, when you start to lose hair on your head, all that sweat just runs into your eyes. And this thing absorbs it and cools your head like no other. So that's a little uh, pro tip 101. Get a beanie. They're like 50% off. They're like $9 um, on Badlands. And they're amazing. Like they're a game changer. My uncle has it. And he's like, this is awesome. Like he never expected it to be as, you know, as as a game changer as it is. If I could pick one piece of equipment on this whole thing that's a game changer, it's this beanie. It's a it's a $20 beanie half off with our discount. Um, that's how passionate I am about that. Um, the other thing that I want to get into is that I would recommend is understand your food. Like I went with the peak refuel and, um, and it's, it tastes amazing. Like it tastes, um, it's a game, it's a game changer because, there's so many things that are kind of drawing you back from the comforts of the life we normally live. Food is one of them out here. And um, when you can eat this food, I'm eating their granola right now, a strawberry, whole granola with strawberries and milk. And that's nice because it's so hot out here. You don't have to heat it up. You just dump cold water in there and you get, you know, tons of protein, 23 grams of protein and, Keeping refueled out here is so important. I've, I underestimated how important that is. And I've, I've went a couple of days hiking without understanding that. And about, you know, you, you pretty much burn yourself out. So, um, those are a couple pro tips that I learned in this process. Um, I looked at a million different packs. I knew I could get 50% off on Badlands. So with the hunt club. So I just kept looking at their packs and they finally came, they finally made the MRK pack available right there at the end of right before season. I went with it unknown and it's really, really nice. It's, it's, it does more than uh, my other buddies have packs. It's very versatile. Uh, you don't need the difference between a large and a medium pack. Um, it all adjusts for you. It's got lumbar support. Um, the other thing I want you, I would encourage people is pack it like you're going to pack it because I've been practicing at 35 to 40 pounds and that, my pack is pushing 65 right now. You're not going to, you, you, water, water is heavy. Um, by the time you add your electronics, like your power bank for your phone, so you're going to have Onyx for a couple days, uh, your binoculars add up. The Binal Connect system with the Badlands is nice, but it's still, vinyl, binoculars are heavy. Um, what do you so, mean? What do you mean there, Blaze? Uh, about the packet? How you're going to pack it? Are, do you mean assembling your your gear in your pack? How you would how you would do it in the field? Or are you talking about actually putting all of your your both. equipment in your pack? I would say both. Like you got to understand your pack. Um, I didn't do that. Um, 
you know, I watched a ton of videos. I thought I, I put it on three or four times. I went hiking with it, you know, at like 30 pounds, but I didn't have three days worth of gear in there. I didn't have three days with, I have four days of food in here. I didn't have my power banks in there. And I actually planned on videotaping this hunt with my new camera for you guys. And, um, I really, I'm down to a handy cam and a GoPro because I just couldn't take the weight of my new camera. And the one guy that I was guaranteed to have three guys. So I was going to camera the camera, the hunts and that guy bailed. So that was just two of us. And I can't, uh, I can't carry the video equipment and the hunting equipment. You know, I'll be, I'd be over, I'd be 75, 80 pounds. And I just never prepared for that. So I had to make a, a decision. And so we're handy camming it and GoPro in it for now. Um, I'm doing the, uh, the videos at base camp I'm doing with a good camera. But, um, so I, that's one mistake I made. I, I underestimated the weight of, of the, of what it takes to get this done. If you're gonna, if you're gonna spike camp, um, and you're not gonna spike camp normally for one day, um, because you're going to have the same weight minus a little bit of dehydrated food. So um, understand your pack, understand your weight is all really, really important. Um, and I would have trained harder. If I, could, if I could give any advice to people, I would have got out more and trained more because um, it's hard. I mean, it's, you think, oh, man, I'm feeling good on flatland. I mean, there was nothing to train on that was like this, you know, plus you're at, altitude so oxygen levels down so uh, if i i'm packing i would i would find a pack that's comfortable the mrk pack is super comfortable i have the six six thousand um i went with um a, a duck um down sleeping bag from bike and hike and i love it because i'm a bigger guy i can sleep on my side with it i can use it as a blanket it's super light i paid a little bit Actually, it was cheaper than most. That bike and hike um, is a really good company. Um, and then I went with a, the what's our bags called? Hey, um, Blaze, what uh, what's yeah. the fill of that uh, sleeping bag? You said it's down. Yeah, it's the zero percent or zero degree one. Do you know I what? Do you know what the down fill I, is? I it's I think it's six fifty. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's been a while since I looked at it, and it is beyond warm. Like. I couldn't imagine. And then we have the Thermorest, uh Neo uh, four-inch thick pad. I wanted a thick pad. It's got an R value of like 3.5. I can tell you it's, and I got the wide one, and it's a little bit heavier, but my uncle got the regular one, and he's like, man, I'm returning this at REI, and I'm going to get the wider one. It's so much nicer. It's just you don't feel like you're going to tip over all the time. Um, and it has this reflective heat system in it with, like it's so warm so i'm really really happy with my sleep pack i would my uncle has the 15 degree nemo and he says it's really comfortable but mine's nicer because he can it's way bigger inside and it's it's lighter so i went with the goose down or the duck i think it's duck down um maybe it's goose you guys will have to look it up it's the black one zero degree bike and hike um I would never suggest a different sleeping bag like that's and then I went with zero degree because zero the degrees kind of are deceiving like it says zero like yeah but it's really comfortable to like 15 so whatever level it is go one level more than you think because the comfort level is normally fifth the one the the selection before it 
So yeah. yeah, you could go to zero degree, but really it's made for comfortable at 15. I want to you jump know? in there a little bit for people that are potentially okay. sleep. Go ahead. Selecting sleeping bags. So you really like what Blaze is saying. Have to check with the manufacturer. So there's basically three different um, rating levels. So there's comfort level. Um, there is uh, a survival level, and then there's another one. Uh, I just had it. What was it? I forget what the other one is, but there's three of them. And the other one is basically in between survival and comfort. What I would recommend is making sure that you reach out to the manufacturer and ask them specifically their customer service, what their sleeping bags are rated for as far as the various levels. Is it comfort? Is it uh, a survival rating? Because that is going to be way, way different. 100%. I totally agree. I didn't reach out to the manufacturer, but I, I, I watched multiple um, like YouTube videos on each sleeping bag only because I didn't think to reach out to the, the manufacturer. I wish I would have. Um, but I'm real happy with that with the sleeping bag I have, the bike and hike. Um, it's actually made for hammocks, <laughs> oddly enough. It has two holes on each side, and that makes it bigger. For, I'm a bigger guy, so I can sleep in it. If I have to sleep in a regular mummy-style bag, I feel claustrophobic. So that's pro tip for a bigger guy is go with the hammock style. Um, and it's just as light as my uncle's. Um, I went with the hammock style, and it's super warm, super nice. Um, what else for Pat? Uh, the Thermal Rest uh, Neo uh, pad. I'm really happy with that. Um, I don't... One thing we were, we were discussing is um, we wish one of us would have gotten a three-person um, tent, and then one of us carry tent and one could carry more water and just sleep together. Because a two-person is really a one-person. For the way we look at it, the two-person tents are pretty tight. So if we would have got a three-person tent, one could carry that, one could have carried more water, and said now we both have two-person tents that we have to carry double the amount of stuff. So... That's a little bit of a pro tip. If you if you have two people that you don't mind sleeping next to each other, I would rather have a three bedroom, a three person tent, and sleep two in it, and and then the other person can carry more water. Yeah, that's that's a good tip too. Um, definitely helps you shape weight, and I I that's what I've done on on my elk hunt. So, uh, if, dude, we just had a bugle go off right. 100 yards from us right now. I'm literally taking my bull off my pack. As we speak, you're going to get a bird's eye view or a play-by-play radio version of I'm just taking it off. I don't know if that was a hunter. I don't think so. Way out here. definitely a beautiful. Oh, that's crazy. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be whispering now. Um, do you want to, do you want to just, uh, we can end here. This would be a great, we, great ending to part one and then we yeah. can recap on part two. Yeah, I'll give you an update on what happens now.
All right. Um, after this, but uh, man, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to my story. I mean, I hope it helps you guys and anyone out there listening. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. Good luck on that that bull. Uh, I'll talk to you in a week. All right. Sounds great, buddy. All right. Talk Happy to you later. Up.